So we've been working through our series, Back to the Basics, uh, looking at the basics of theology. And I've been giving like a quick little definition for theology at the beginning of every week. And quite frankly, I'm tired of doing it. So I'm going to ask you guys, what does theology mean? Big, scary word. If you had to boil it down, what does it mean? Oh, no, don't tell me after eight weeks of this, it hasn't sunk in yet. What does theology mean? It, very literally, it means the study of God. The, the way that we have been talking about it is it's your basic beliefs of who God is. That's what theology is. Again, it, can, it feels like this big, scary word and all that, but really all it means is your basic beliefs about who God is and who you are to be in response to that. We all have a theology, whether we're aware of it or not, whether we're able to articulate it or not, we all have a belief of who God is. And what we want to make sure is that when we talk about the basics of our theology, when we talk about belief in Jesus, that we're talking about the same thing. If we're going to be a part of the same church, then we want to make sure that when we use words, we mean the same thing. Yeah? You see how it could get real confusing if we thought different things when we use the same word. And so what we're using uh, as kind of a... Uh, a skeleton to walk us through all of this is the statement of faith of the Christian and Missionary Alliance, uh, the denomination that we're a part of. And this, we're going to start this morning looking at our ninth statement. So far, we've been looking at who the person of God is, his, his perfect nature, his eternal nature. The God is three and one at the same time, this kind of crazy thing we can't wrap our heads around. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the work that, that Jesus has done on the cross on our behalf, the work that the Holy Spirit is currently doing in our midst. And what we're looking at today is kind of who we are in response to that. What, what we're looking at today is meant to answer the question, so what is the church? Okay, so that's what God is up to, and that's what God is doing maybe in my life personally, but then there's this whole thing of when we come together and we have church and we are the church, what does that mean? There's been a lot of, have you guys heard the phrase deconstructionism? Yeah, how many of you are familiar with that? And it's kind of deconstructing the faith. And it, it, sometimes it's used as like this, typically, forgive me, an older generation kind of pointing a finger at the younger generation. Oh, deconstructionism. Really, at its core, though, it's asking what do we really believe? It's asking why do we really believe that? And it can go to a point where people deconstruct the faith until there's nothing left. But it starts at a place that can be healthy, what is it that we really believe? Why do we really believe it? The church is one of those things that has been really deconstructed, and there's a lot of confusion. If you talk to a younger generation and ask them, what is the church? You're going to get a ton of different answers, and most of them are going to go, I don't know, maybe, I think, and it's become really, really difficult to grab a hold of. And so what I want to do, we're actually going to take two weeks to look at this one, is maybe just help give some handles. Here's, here's some basics of what the church is. It's really not all that complicated. We've made it very complicated. And so I wanna try to simplify the idea of what is the church. Make sense? Okay. So our ninth statement of faith. The church consists of all those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, are redeemed through his blood, and are born again of the Holy Spirit. 
Christ is the head of the body, the church, which has been commissioned by him to go into all the world as a witness, preaching the gospel to all nations. The local church is a body of believers in Christ who are joined together for the worship of God, for edification through the word of God, for prayer, fellowship, the proclamation of the gospel, and observance of the ordinance of baptism and the Lord's Supper. Super simple, right? This is, I think this is our longest and wordiest statement. And like I said, there's too much to try to knock out in one, so we're going to kind of break it in half uh, and look at it over the next two Sundays. But the first thing that I want to point out while we have the entire statement up there is you notice there's the, at the very beginning it says the church and it has a capital C. But then if you look about halfway down, it says the local church and there's a lowercase c. Have you guys ever noticed that before when you're reading some Christian literature or something? Sometimes church is capitalized and sometimes it's lowercase. Have you ever seen that? What that is, is there is, a lot of people just refer to it as the big C church and the little C church. It's a way of helping us understand there's the big C church, which is the universal church, the church throughout all history, the church that spans the entire globe, the church that every single believer is a part of, but then there's the little C church, which is our local church. The, whether it's the Alliance or Summit or the Nazarene or the Methodist or the Baptist church, whatever it might be, we all have these little, smaller, uh, local churches that we're a part of. And so first, this statement starts with, let me help you understand what the big C church is about, kind of the big umbrella and then next week, we're going to get into the local church. What does it actually look like here? What does it actually look like when individual groups of believers get together? But this big C church, it, it, how many of you, the, the Catholic church, that word Catholic, do you know what it actually means? Like literally translated, it's, not a, it's from a language that we don't use anymore, but that word Catholic simply means universal. It, it, the word Catholic Church was, came about before there ever was a Catholic Church like we know of it right now, and it meant the universal church. It was their way of talking about everything God is doing throughout the world. And so that word Catholic has now kind of means a, a specific denomination, but originally, sometimes you'll read about it if you're ever reading some like ancient church fathers, and they talk about a holy Catholic church. They, weren't, they didn't mean like the Pope and the bishops and all of that kind of stuff. What they were talking about was the entire church across the globe and throughout the generations. Because the church, Big C Church, has been given the same calling and the same goal. No matter where you are, no matter what time period you're in, no matter what state or country, we've all been given a common calling and a common goal. The, the way that we say it here in the Christian Missionary Alliance to try to simplify it and make it easy to get a hold of is when you look at the big C church, the, the global church, the calling God has given us, very simply put, to know him and to make him known. Like if you had to boil everything down, the thing that every single Christian has in common, the calling that we've all received is to know Christ and to make Christ known. So that's the big C church. Then you get down to the local, the, the little C church. We still have the same calling, but it's going to look very different. Now it's that kind of same calling, but it's contextualized. What it looks like to know Jesus and to make him known in Elkins is different than Morgantown, is different than Ohio, is different than New York City. I mean, 
This is where in the, in the smaller little C church where we can start to contextualize and go, yeah, but what does that mean for us? What does that look like here? Does that make sense? There's another way to look at this big C church. It's kind of the same idea, but on a little bit of a smaller scale. In Elkins, how many churches are there? Oh, I hear some different answers. Everywhere from one to a lot. How many churches are there in Elkins? First of all, if you Google how many churches in Elkins, it's a tough number to nail down. Uh, where do you draw the lines and where do you, but that's all a trick. How many churches are there in Elkins? One. There is one church in Elkins. There are many congregations. There are many, one way that some people say it, there are many different expressions of the church in Elkins. If you go to a Baptist service, it's going to look different than ours. If you go to a non-denominational or the Methodist or the Nazarene or any of the different churches out there, it's going to look and feel different than ours does, right? Does that mean that we're all like completely separate and therefore, you'll start to hear where this comes from, we should compete with one another because ours is better than theirs and garbage. We are all part of the same church we all have a common goal and a common calling to know him and to make him known. The question is, how has God called us to do that in our congregation? Amen. And the other churches that do it differently, do you ever think about this? Maybe it's by design that they do it differently, that God is calling them to look different, to approach it in a different way, because different people get reached in different ways. And so maybe it's a blessing and a design of God that all these different churches approach it in a different way. It's not his design and calling that we draw hard lines and we go, our church, their church, we're better, they're worse, whatever. That's human and it's ugly. But there is one church in Elkins, one big C church, and there are many different congregations. Same commission, same goal, differing giftings and contexts. So the big C church, if you see that capitalized, it's made up of all the small C churches. So I just want to kind of throw that out there because you're going to see it in different ways or if you read any Christian literature, you may see that sometimes and it can get a little confusing. Big C church throughout the globe, throughout history, small C church, local congregation context. Okay, so let's get to this statement of faith and let's start breaking it down just like we've been doing kind of piece by piece. The church consists of all those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, are redeemed through his blood, and are born again of the Holy Spirit. So I want to start with that, the first couple words there. The church consists of, notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say that the church consists of denominations. The church consists of a building. The church consists of a budget. The church consists of a set of programs or, or rules, do's and don'ts, or dress codes, or does it say any of that? These are tools that the church uses. The, the trap that we fall into is sometimes we confuse them with the church herself. The, the, the building that we have, tonight we're going to have our annual meeting where we talk about kind of where God's calling us in 2023. We're going to approve a budget and look through how do we spend the finance and all of that. But hear this, those are all tools that God has given us to use. None of those make up the church itself. 
but we have to fight culture with this. And when I, when I talk about oftentimes fighting culture, I'm talking about like kind of the world's culture, American culture, or those kinds of things and how the church needs to fight against that. But in here we find we have to fight against church culture. Church culture teaches us that the word church means something very different than what the scripture teaches. Let me illustrate that a little bit. Where did you drive to this morning? You drove to church. What started at 10.30 this morning? Church. And I had a little joke in there about, or for some of you, 10.45, but actually at 10.29, I watched about 30 people come spilling in. I actually grabbed Tim and was like, what's happening? Praise the Lord for daylight saving time. What do we call this building? Church. We've been tricked a little bit. And it's Christians that have been tricking ourselves. This isn't something the world put on us. We've given the word church a definition it was never meant to have. It's a building. It's a service. It has an address. It, this is never what was meant when you read the scriptures and they, the, the word church is used. The etymology of that word church, uh, like where it came from, is actually really convoluted and interesting because it has to go through like seven different languages until we get to why we call it church. But when you go back into the New Testament and you look at the original Greek, the word used is ekklesia. It's where we get words like ecclesiology and some of this, which again, oh, it's a big theological word. It simply means the study of church. But that word ekklesia actually means the called out ones. It's two different words put together, and it means those that have been called out for a specific purpose. When Jesus said in Matthew 16, I will build my church and the gates of heaven will not overcome it, he wasn't saying, I'm going to build like the first church of Jerusalem of Jesus and you know it's going to be this one building where everyone can come and we're going to have the best services. He was saying, all of those that I call out from the world, all of those who choose to follow me, who come together for a specific purpose, that's the church. We've all heard this before, right? The church is the people, not the building, not the program, not the service. I thought we were going to have some onstage participation, which if anyone is that gutsy, you're always welcome to come up here. I, we'll give it a go. The church is the people of God coming together for the purpose of worshiping and seeking God's face. That is what is meant in the New Testament when you read the word church. Actually, a much better, a much fuller understanding would be if instead of church, it said the assembly or the congregation. That is actually what is meant. That church word has been so loaded that we read it sometimes and it's easy to get confused and go, wait, what is the church? It has always been about the assembling of God's people. We are the church. This is not the church. You understand that? One of my favorite uses of that word ecclesia comes from Acts chapter 19. The Apostle Paul, he's in Ephesus, and, and he's been there for a couple months now, and he's speaking in these amphitheaters, and he's gathering large crowds of people, but there's a problem. There was a competing message in Ephesus. Ephesus is where the temple to Artemis stood. It's one of the seventh wonders of the ancient world. It was this massive, beautiful... Um, building that was there, and it all focused around worshiping 
Artemis. Can you take that off the wall, please, while I get to it? Thank you. I watch all of your eyes staring up at the screen, and I'm like, uh-oh. So there was this temple to Artemis, and what came with the temple to Artemis was this thriving business of making idols and statues of Artemis, and they would sell them all throughout the city. So as Paul is gathering thousands of people in these amphitheaters, teaching them about Jesus, all the people selling statues of Artemis started going, where are all my customers going? And so they all get together one day and they have this meeting and they're like, it's that Paul guy. He's doing it. He's taking our customers. He's hurting our bottom line. And so they start to, to rile up the people And we find this in Acts chapter 19. When they heard this, they were filled with rage and began to cry out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with confusion, and they rushed all together into the amphitheater, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's traveling companions. Though Paul wanted to go in before the people, the disciples did not let him. Even some of the provincial officials of Asia, who were his friends, sent word to him, pleading with him not to take a chance by going into the amphitheater. Meanwhile, some were shouting one thing and some another, because the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Do you see the word church in there? Did you find ecclesia as I was going through? Chris, go to the next slide for me. It was the riot. The mob was referred to as the ecclesia in there. There was a group of people gathered with a purpose, and it was let's take Paul down and do his whole thing. It wasn't a church word. It wasn't something created by theologians. It was just a normal word that Jesus grabbed a hold of. Jesus was going, hey, you know how people get together sometimes and they have like a common mission and they're all moving together. I'm going to build one of those like the world has never seen. It is about a movement of people. Far too often, this is actually a great, they could put church in there. Some people were shouting one thing and some another because they were in confusion. Most of them didn't even know why they had come together. This sounds like far too many church services that I have been a part of. But that word was used to describe the mob. The mob was there. They were bound together by a common purpose. Even though they were confused and just kind of, but they were moving in the same direction. And it's kind of a, a, a weird use of that word. But even that is a picture of what the church is to be. People bound together with a common goal. Let's move together. Does this make sense, church? Yeah. Notice how I keep calling you church? There's something in it. So let me ask you this. Again, we're fighting against church culture. That word means so many different things. We talk about church, and it means something different to so many of us. How many of you, this is the first time you've ever heard that church is about us, not about a building, not about a... Is this your first time? Most of you, not. So why do we keep being drawn back to the idea that church is a building or a service or or a set of programs? This is kind of our, our natural default. We know that it's not what Jesus meant. We know that it's not what Paul meant. But we kind of keep getting sucked back into the gravity of church has an address, church has a time. Church. Why is that? Think of it. If somebody, if somebody comes to you and they say, tell me about your church, many of us are going to go, well, um, it's contemporary worship. And you're going to describe the building to them a little bit. Maybe you'll talk about the preaching for better or for worse. Hey, go down the road. That guy's better. They have a better church. Like whatever it might be. 
When somebody says, tell me about your church, too often our response isn't, well, let me tell you about David. Let, let, me, let me tell you about Elizabeth. Let me tell you about the people that make the church. We start describing to them the service, the programs, the building. Why? Why do we get drawn back into that? Mm-hmm. People tend to focus on the experience, is what she said. Jamie? Yeah, many of us, this is just, this is what we grew up with. This is what that word always meant. And even though we know that's not what Jesus meant, it's, it's just so natural to kind of go back to it. Why else? Why, why do we keep going to this definition that we know doesn't capture what the church is? fact that just we're concrete thinkers, this is much easier to measure. This is much easier to kind of like, to describe to someone, to we meet at this time, here's how our service tends to go, here's how you dress. Like I was sharing with somebody earlier this week, whenever we have someone uh, who's going to come and preach that's not a part of our church, one of the first questions I always get is, what do I wear? How, How do you guys dress? And these are pastors, these are people that have been in the church world their whole lives and they still know the first question how do people dress in your church? What, like what's, what are the expectations there? We, we tend to gr- gravitate towards those concrete things because it's harder to get. We're a people that just love one another, that care for one another, that it's tough. Anybody else? Why do, why do we keep being drawn back to this? Okay. If we really start to use the biblical definition for church, that ecclesia, the called out ones gathered together for a purpose, guess what? Church attendance gets thrown out the window because it's not about you coming and sitting in your relatively comfy seat for an hour and a half. It's about you coming and being the ecclesia. It's about the people of God gathering together to do the work God has called them to. Attendance goes out the window. Who cares if you showed up? Were you the church? All of a sudden, it starts to have a little more teeth if we start to use the biblical definition. And so it's easy to just fall back to, this is my church, and and I go regularly, and I give. It's all relatively hands-off stuff. It's a much more difficult thing, but are you the church? Any other thoughts before I move on with this? I've seen a couple maybe hands rising. Mm-hmm. Different churches take a different perspective on their theology. So when if you have to make some kind of discriminating framework so you can decide which church people <coughs> am I going to attend, sure. those programs are going to reflect the theology that you may or may not want. Sure. At no point in this, remember how I started before going, man, the, the little C church, the local congregations that all look and function differently, sometimes even have differing beliefs on things. I don't think that's a bad thing. And we, and we do need to figure out which local church am I going to attach myself to? And we're going to talk about this more next week. But remember, that local church doesn't have a name over the door. Like, 
when you guys leave here today, the church leaves with you. Amen? This building sits empty Monday through Saturday because the church has left. When Awana shows up Wednesday evening, guess what? The church walks in the door with them. When youth group meets Thursday evenings, the church enters in. This is purely a building. We have a service time, a time that church starts, because that's a time we choose to gather together. If one Sunday the miscommunication happens, no one shows up, guess what? I'm not having church by myself. Not only because I'd feel ridiculous up here, it's physically impossible for me to have church unless you, the church, show up with me. Does this make sense? The church consists of those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, are redeemed through his blood, and are born again of the Holy Spirit. So let's break these down a little bit. We've talked about some of these in the past, so I'm just going to kind of hit on them pretty quickly. I love that they used the word, the church consists of those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, not those who believe in Jesus. We can believe in a lot of things. Does anyone in here believe in Bigfoot? This is the gutsiest thing I'll ever ask you to do, to raise your hand. That's Tim, everyone. Tim, okay, we got a couple people that believe in Bigfoot. Here's the thing. Your belief in Bigfoot does not affect your life. Now, you keep raising your hand in public and telling people you believe in Bigfoot, it'll have some effect on your life. But to believe in Bigfoot means I believe that there is some hairy creature out in the woods somewhere doing Bigfoot kind of stuff. And then I move on with my day. To believe on Jesus is different. To believe in Jesus is to believe there was this guy who lived 2,000 years ago. He, he was good. I even believe he died on the cross. Cool. But it doesn't have any change in my life. To believe on him is to mean the weight of my eternity, the weight of my faith, rests on his shoulders. It, it actually produces change in my life because if I place my belief on him, then what he says goes. Then, then all of a sudden, his priorities, his characteristics, his ethics, I need to change to match them because the weight of my belief rests on him. Do you see the difference? You'll, you'll read, there's passages of scripture that talk about our belief in Jesus. There are people that talk about it. I, I'm not saying anytime that word in is used like, oh, someone made a mistake. But it's an important distinction. You can believe in the tooth fairy. You can believe in Sasquatch. But that's very different from believing on Jesus Christ. So the church consists of all those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, are redeemed through his blood. That word redeemed there means bought back, purchased. We, we were once slaves to sin, unable to free ourselves and Jesus bought us, purchased us for himself. We have been redeemed. Paul, talking to Timothy, uses the word ransomed. He says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and humanity, Christ Jesus, himself human, who gave himself a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. We were all being held captive. The difference is this wasn't like we weren't kidnapped. We went willingly. We locked ourselves in a cage and we needed ransomed. We needed purchased back. And it was through the blood of Jesus Christ that we have been bought back, that we have been given the ability to become the people he created us to be. 
The church consists of those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, are redeemed through his blood, and are born again of the Holy Spirit. Again, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. I'm just going to touch on it. This word born again, it comes from uh, Jesus talking with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And Nicodemus came and said, what do we have to do to enter the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus said, you have to be born again of the Holy Spirit. And Nicodemus kind of played dumb, and he was a very smart guy, but he went, are you saying I have to like go back into my mother's womb and be born again? And you can almost hear in the, in the text Jesus going, really, Nick? Like, you, you thought that's where I was going with this. But Jesus said, no, 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 you have to be born of the Holy Spirit. You have to be born of spirit and water. You have to be made of new stuff to enter the kingdom of heaven. Part of putting our faith on Jesus is receiving the Holy Spirit and being born again, being made of new stuff. All of a sudden now we have the ability to be a new creation. As as Paul says it in 2 Corinthians 5, he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and look, new things have come. Everything is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We have been made new through the Holy Spirit. To be a part of the church, our faith has to rest on Jesus on his saving, redeeming work. And we receive the Holy Spirit and are made into these new creatures. And when we, as new, redeemed creatures, come together, the church is born. This is the meaning of the church. The church is whenever, wherever, wherever, excuse me, we gather as followers of Jesus. This begins to radically change the way we interact with one another. Because all of a sudden, when I invite you over to dinner at my house, that's church. When we go to watch a kid's soccer game together, guess what? The church now meets at the soccer field. Gathering on a Sunday morning to worship and seek the Lord together becomes the church. You're not coming to the church. You are the church coming together. This is just a convenient place to meet. This is just a place that's heated in the winter, cooled in the summer, and has sound and lights. You are the church when you enter in together with a common purpose to worship Jesus together. All of the sudden, like, how did church go? I liked it, I didn't like it, doesn't matter. How did church go? We got together and we worshiped Jesus. Check. That's the point of the church. We're going to look next week at what that practically looks like in the different pieces of of how we come together and why we come together. But we bring the church with us. It's not something that we are coming to. The church consists of all those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, are redeemed through his blood, and are born again of the Holy Spirit. Christ is the head of the body, the church. This metaphor of the body is used often in Scripture Most notably in 1 Corinthians 12, which we're going to read a couple passages out of. And God is always using this. He's going, look, just as the body, and we're going to read as many different parts, when they come together, there's a wholeness, there's a completeness. They look different, they act different, they function different, they serve a different purpose. But remove a piece, and that body is now hobbled. We, when we come together connect and become the body of Jesus. Paul in 1 Corinthians 12, for as the body is, 
is one and has many parts, and all of the parts of that body, though many, are one body, so also is Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free. And we were all made to drink of one spirit, so the body is not one, but many parts. Skipping down a little bit. God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable, so that there would be no division in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. When we unite together, we become the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ. We become an expression of God himself put on flesh on this earth. We're coming into the Christmas season here in a little bit. I never want to look past Thanksgiving. I hate that there's all this Christmas stuff out already, but that's what we're celebrating is God put on flesh and came to earth, right? Well, guess what? When we gather together, we are God put on flesh, come to earth. We become the body of Christ and there's also, I believe, there's a body of the big C church and a body of the small C church. We've talked at some length in the past, and we will in the future, about how we are the body. Each of us is uniquely gifted and equipped. We all have unique experiences and passions that when we come together, there's this kind of fuller expression of who Jesus is and how God wants to work, yeah? There's also the same thing in the big C church. What if, instead of every single church having to perfect every single area of Christian life, what if instead we had one church in town that, man, children's ministry was their thing? And we had another church in town that college ministry was their thing, and another one that feeding ministry. What if instead we saw our churches as a part of the body, unique and, and gifted and called, but incomplete, without the rest of the parts of the body? What if this is the way that we saw our brothers and sisters worshiping in other places all around? Listen, this, this is how our denomination was founded. A very quick history lesson. You don't need to remember names and dates and all of that kind of stuff. But turn of the century, around 1900, a guy named A.B. Simpson, who was the, the founder of the Christian Missionary Alliance in New York City, and he started seeing all of, the, all of the immigrants coming in and how little they had and how no one was reaching out to them. And so he didn't say, I'm starting a church and we're going to go reach out to them. What he did is he started getting brothers and sisters from all different denominations. And he would say, cool, go to your church on Sunday morning. Let's meet Sunday evening and talk about how do we love on these people. How do we come together from all of our different backgrounds, even with our different beliefs? They all held this one thing in common that Christ was Lord and that those people needed to hear about him. And so they started going, man, let's go to your church. God bless you, go to your church. Then let's come together and figure out how do we get to work. And so there was the Christian Alliance. Let's figure out how do we really pursue Jesus deeper and the Missionary Alliance. Let's get the word out. It eventually became its own denomination, but the whole thing has always been built on partnership. We need to be partnering with other brothers and sisters, with other congregations that are out there because we can't do the work ourselves we were never intended to. We don't have all of the gifting and resources necessary. We need to be partnering with other churches. And let me tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm very proud. We have some ministries that have already begun to do that over the past few years, especially our, our women's ministry, a little commercial 
the if gathering that our women have, they're very intentional to invite women from other churches to come, not because we just want to show off our church and hopefully those women will start coming here, because those churches don't really have a whole lot going on for women and going, man, come use ours. We're going to do this thing like we offer it for free. Please come and be trained and then take the passion and the power back to your church so that your church is better because of it. We're not just trying to pad our stats. Let's train up women from other churches and send them back even stronger so that that church can thrive and that church can thrive. The, the feeding ministry that we've begun to partner with that Jamie has been sharing with us about, I don't know if you've noticed, but our location is not great uh, for reaching out to people. Oftentimes you're reading books and they'll talk about like a neighborhood church. We don't have much of a neighborhood it's not very easy for people, especially under-resourced people, to get to where we are, right? So should we start a feeding ministry where we serve, you know, lunch here every Wednesday? Wouldn't make any sense. Our prayer has been, Lord, who out there is reaching out to people and how do we begin to partner with them? And we're seeing God begin to open those doors. Let us come and help make what you do even better because we've, we're a part of the same body. And we've been called to join with you on mission. To see people understand the love of Christ in very practical, meeting their physical needs ways, and in hearing the gospel proclaimed. We offer trainings to other churches. Next weekend, I'm going to another church and spending my entire Saturday for free training their leaders on some different, uh, our Power of Great Relationships training that we do here about once a year, um, taking it over there simply because I want to see their church thrive. They're having some interpersonal issues and going, man, I, let me help you so that your church can be the best version of itself because as another part of the same body of the Church of Elkins, I need for you to thrive. I need for you guys to be healthy. It would be easy, and listen, it's far too common to sit back and go, but if they don't thrive, all those people are going to need somewhere to go. We have a church. They could come here. We're very entertaining. We're... That's garbage. How can I help your church thrive? Because it's a part of the same body. I need you to thrive. We're, we're joining with, with a, another church in May. Uh, you'll hear more details about this. To reach out to a community uh, in downtown. One that we have no access to. We, ha we have no way to get people from there to here, or it's a difficult thing, but there's a church closer to it that's going, we really want to reach them. We need help, though. We will come and help you, and we're not going to put our name on a single thing because it's not about how do we get people to come to our church. How do we see the church of Elkins grow and thrive? When our sister churches are, are bursting at the seams with people, we don't sit back and go, oh, man, we want more... Praise God that he is using them to reach people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Do I pray that God uses us in a similar way and that we see new people coming to faith? Absolutely. But when one church is winning, the church is winning. Is this making sense, church? No. We'll talk later. We are all part of the same body of Christ in Elkins because there is one head, Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1, 
Paul says he demonstrated this power in the Messiah by raising him from the dead and seating him at the right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. Did you catch that? Like what he called the church? He didn't say Jesus is the fullness. He says his body, the church, is the fullness of the one who fills everything in every way. What if that was our vision? Everywhere we get, every time we gather together, that we want to be the fullness of God wherever we happen to be because Jesus is the head over everything. The first couple verses is just bragging on Jesus. He has been given power and authority over everything. Everything has been put under his feet. He is the head of the body, the church. And his desire is that we become the fullness of him everywhere we go. There's a, some more Christian culture to be careful with. The, the phrase, my church, not necessarily bad. This is where English really doesn't serve us very well. I can use that term, my church, to mean two different things. That's my church. I have ownership over it. They better do things the way that I like because it's my church. Or that's my church. That's the church I'm a part of. That's the church that I belong to. English doesn't help us much with this. Far too often when we talk about my church, we have that, it better please me. It's my church. When really what we're called to is, look, we're all a part of the same body. We have the same head. This is my church because I belong to her, not the other way around. This gets confusing sometimes when we talk about like church leadership. We have a pretty confusing idea of what leadership is. Even the term, and it's a biblical term that I have as pastor. Pastor means shepherd, shepherd of the flock. The the shepherd, if you look at like an actual shepherd and his sheep, is the shepherd a sheep? No, imagine a sheep walking around with a rod telling the other sheep where to go. I'd watch that, first of all, but... There's a, there's a distinction that's there, and what happens far too often is we take that distinction to mean ownership. That this, the way many people view it, I hope you don't, I want you to know that I don't, that this is actually my church, and you're a part of it. There, there are many churches that are run this way, and that's a very dangerous stance. Here's the way that the scripture talks about that, that word shepherd, is it actually says, Jesus is the great shepherd, that I and the elders of this church, we're, we're equals in this, the elders, myself, we are under shepherds. We actually are sheep walking along with you, serving the great shepherd. This is his church. It's not mine. It's not yours. We are under shepherds. You will never hear me refer to myself as the senior pastor of this church. First of all, I'm the only pastor of this church, and that feels weird. If we grow and we, someone else has that title, of pastor, you will still never hear me refer to myself as the senior pastor. There is one senior pastor of the church, and it is Jesus. I am a pastor. I'm, I'm a shepherd, but I always want to be very careful there. I'm, I'm, this is more my confession to you and one that I want you guys to understand. I never want to place myself above. I never want to place myself, this is mine, and I, I control it. I, that is not my place. That is not the job of any leader. He is the great shepherd. 
This is his church, and I, like you, want to seek him for his desire. How, what part do I play in the body? What part does our congregation play in the larger body? Because this is his church, and not my will, but his will be done. His kingdom come, his will be done. There's more that I was going to go into, but we're going to push pause, and we're going to come back to it next week. I love and respect our children's workers too much uh, to take the time to go into this. Next week, we'll, we'll come back, and we'll begin to look at, we said, the ecclesia, that word that we use for church, is people gathered for a common purpose. We, we've looked at why we gather and how we come together. I want to look next week at what that common purpose is. So we'll push pause, and we'll come back to that. But there's a passage in Ephesians 3 that I want to read to, to bring us to a close. This is Paul talking about Jesus' reason for putting the church together. And it blows my mind every time I read it. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold, that means many-sided, like many-faceted wisdom of God, should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus, why did you make the church? He could have done it any number of ways. He could have just snapped his fingers and everything was done and perfect now. But he chose to create this gathering of people all across the globe called the church. Why did he do it? His intent was that even the rulers and authorities in heaven, like let that sink in, whether that's angels and demons or, or what that means, we can't even really grab our, grasp our head around. The rulers in the, in the heavenly places would look at the church and go, no way. What, like, that's crazy. That even those who can see God more clearly than we can, that they would look at his church and that his manifold wisdom would be made known to them. They would go, you're kidding me. You're that big? You're that powerful? Your plan is that far-reaching? Are you kidding me? Because they look at us gathering together. Most of the time, I'm just happy if we make it out of here without like me making too many mistakes and, okay, we got the music done and no one stormed off in the middle of a service. I don't come to it and go, we're gathering today and rulers in the heavenly realms are going to look at us and they're going to be in awe of our God because we chose to get together. It's crazy when you think about it. Because we had church, because we are the church, the manifold wisdom of God being made known in the heavenly places through us gathering together. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close by, by reading the prayer that Paul prays over the church directly following uh, him letting them in on this little tidbit. He prays a prayer for them. And I'm going to ask you, as we pray, if you would just close your eyes where you are. I'm going to read this passage over you. Close your eyes. And if you would just open your hands, palm up. This is a, a really ancient way of simply just receiving. I'm going to pray a blessing that Paul prayed for the church 2,000 years ago and still applies to us today. And if you would just, where you are, just receive it as I read it. Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason... I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being 
so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And God's church said, amen. I'm going to ask the music team to come as we close with song.